we're beginning a new sermon series this morning, looking at 2 Timothy, and we're spending the next few weeks looking at this as a book, looking at what uh, God was speaking through Paul to Timothy to see what he was calling the church to, and therefore calling us to. And this morning, I've entitled it, Be Faithful. Faithful to what God has called us to. Faithful to one another. Faithful to God's teaching. The teaching we receive from Scripture. The Bishop of London reminded us on Friday at the beginning of that service of Catherine of Siena, who said, Be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. I thought it was a great quote. I thought the Bishop of London was fantastic, actually. I was proud to be Anglican at that moment. I thought, he's our bishop, that man. He's a marvellous man. Um, let me just set the book in context. So you need to uh, just understand the context of the book to get the uh, theme of what he's writing. Um, 2 Timothy is uh, the last letter that Paul uh, ever wrote. A lot of people consider it to be his last will and testament, as it were. He wrote it shortly before uh, he died. He was in prison, literally chained up um, in Rome. Uh, So when he comments in verse 16, never be ashamed of me because I was in prison, he literally means it, that actually at this moment he's chained up in prison. Um, It wasn't a symbolic picture of being in chains, he literally was uh, in chains. Although I think the precise details of Paul's life are quite difficult to tie down, uh, the chronology goes something like this. At the um, end of the book of Acts, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. Uh, But he's able to receive guests, he's able to preach, he's able to teach, he's able to share uh, what he's learnt about Christ. At some point, following that, He's released from prison, and he uh, goes on and resumes his itinerant ministry. And then we understand that he is arrested again, probably in Troas, um, uh, charged with a crime. Uh, it's suspected that it was for asserting uh, it was the crime was treason for asserting that Jesus Christ was Lord, and. Uh, uh, rather than the emperor of Rome. And so Paul again is sent for trial in Rome. He was tried the second time and condemned to death. And tradition says that he was beheaded uh, by the emperor Nero, although the exact date is unknown. We know it's somewhere around AD 66. Um, to understand the letter, you have to understand the context in which Paul is writing this letter, a little bit of the historical background and the church's situation at the time. For, for about 25 years, from the birth of the church, Acts chapter 2, the beginning of Acts, um, the, the message of the church has been received uh, warmly. Um, the Christian message has spread rapidly across the Roman Empire. There have been a few pockets of resistance, but... But generally, it's met with um, open arms and open ears as people received uh, this message uh, for themselves. Then it all changed in AD 64. Uh, That's when Nero burned Rome and blamed it on the Christians, ushering in this incredible wave of persecution against uh, Christians. Suddenly, becoming a Christian or being a Christian was a very dangerous uh, and even deadly lifestyle. And as a result, many of the fringe members of the church dropped off. Um, uh, They considered it too dangerous to be known um, in uh, 
for their faith in Christ. Um, it was no longer popular to mention your faith in a public place. Lots of people no longer wanted to be called Christians because they feared for their lives. And it was easier not to be associated with the followers of Christ. Alongside this, false teachers had crept in. They'd started uh, uh, nonsensing some of Christ's teaching, denied major parts of the faith, and uh, surprisingly... Uh, um, Followers have originally who embraced the things of God and started following these what Paul terms as false teachers. These people who are bringing a different message uh, of the gospel, and uh, we still see it today, don't we? Where we see uh, cults grow up around the world, very sadly. And Paul saw all of this happening, and saw what was developing out of it, and knew that things would probably get worse before they get better. And so it's into that situation that he writes this letter. He writes it knowing his death is imminent. He writes it knowing that there's persecution going on. Uh, He writes it knowing that uh, the situation could yet become worse. Um, He's a, as a condemned man, he's been left on his own. Lots of his friends have not been able to see him or visit him. Um, uh, um, had no contact with him but even then he's not finished yet he starts, if he can't speak to people he writes these letters out I don't know if you booked your tickets for the Olympics Uh, we were one of those who booked at the last minute amongst other millions of others who got in uh, at the last minute Um, and uh, we sat round the table um, just over a week ago, working out if we were going to book tickets for the Olympics, what would we book tickets for? And there was some debate with seven of us in the family, actually, to what we could apply for. And then we, when we did decide and went online, we saw we could only get four lots, four tickets for certain events. And so we booked it all up. And I booked it all in my name, you know, of my card. And then it wasn't until afterwards you realised that the card holder has to go to everything. Which is bad news, isn't it? That means if we get tickets to the gymnastics, I've got to go to that. If we get just tickets to the ballet, I've got to go to that. We get, you know, I was by, I was like, I was like, the boys are going, let's just go to the football. Let's go to, the, actually the, the big thing, the big thing, Lindsay wanted to go to the horse, you know, jumping thing. I don't want to go to that. <laughs> they frighten me, those things. They're too big, aren't they? She wanted to go to that. And Matt, the, the thing we all agreed on was let's go to the relay race. Because we think it's so exciting. Let's go to the relay race. Let's go see some of those heats of that, or the final of that. Or Actually, we went for the heats, because the final's quite a lot more to go to. And you look at that price, you go, no, we'll go to the heats. So it'd be much more, much more exciting, I told them. You'll see far more in the heats than you would in the final. So we, we, that's what we booked up for. We'll see if we get them. But, um, uh, of course, you know, the relay race is uh, that where they pass the baton one to another. The most important part of the race is actually when that is passed on. If the baton is dropped, the race is lost. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's passing something on to Timothy. Uh, each uh, generation has this commission, this calling, this urgent need to pass the message of Christ on from one generation to the next. Parents are encouraged to make every effort to pass it on to their children and church leaders to pass it on to the future church. The Christian movement is a movement that's always moving from one generation to the next, passing the message on. 
ensuring that the next generation is able to pick up the baton and run with it uh, themselves. Uh, It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus. We have to pass the truth on so that others will know the goodness of Christ. And what Paul is doing here in 2 Timothy uh, is is exactly that. This is a, a letter from a departing teacher. Somebody who's a dear friend, and Paul writes to Timothy as his dear friend to pass on this message of Christ, to say this is really important. If you don't get this, we lose the race. We've got to pass the baton on. Uh, Many people think that Paul actually died within weeks of writing this letter. This, his final letter. Uh, uh, So he really does know that the end is near, but his work is not yet finished. He might never be able to preach to great crowds again. He might never be able to visit the churches in Asia Minor. He might never be able to visit the Christians in uh, Athens or Jerusalem. Um, But he has this way of passing this message on. So what is Paul's uh, journey? Here, three short things. Uh, He says this, Timothy, verse 3, I thank God for you. He's the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember the tears when we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I know that you sincerely trust the Lord, for you have the faith of your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. Number one, he says, remember your spiritual heritage. That's Paul's appeal to him. His appeal is to tell Timothy, remember where you've come from. Your spiritual heritage goes back at least two generations. Your grandmother Lois, she was a godly woman who followed Christ. She passed it on to her daughter Eunice, who's then passed it on to you, Timothy. And in reminding him of this, Paul is inspiring Timothy to say, you've got to pass it on to the next one. You've got to keep the message going. Remember the faith of those who've gone before you. These, these are the words of a mentor passing on uh, inspiration to his mentee. He says this in verse 13, hold on to the pattern of, pattern of right teaching you've learned from me and remember to live in the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. With the help of the Holy Spirit who lives, lives within us, carefully guard what has been entrusted to you. Your, your grandmother's passed it to you, your mother's passed it to you, I've passed it to you. Take what's been passed to you and pass it on to the next generation. Don't let it stop with you. It's really important that they get the message too. You know, each of us has a heritage of some sort of family tree. Um, we have a spiritual heritage. We're Christians because someone has encouraged us to come to Christ. No one comes to Christ completely on their own. There are others around them who communicate to them in some way. And we have to remember our spiritual heritage. And we'll be blessed and strengthened when we remember them, but also we can be the heritage to somebody else. We can pass it on. We can enable this message to be alive in other people's hearts and lives. Choose to make a difference in others' lives to change the world and their world. 
by passing on this message. That's Paul's first appeal to him. And, and, and you can get the strength of the appeal when you know that he knows he's about to die. This is really important, he says. Don't let it stop with you. Pass it on. We've got to get this out that others can get it too. Pass it on to others that they would get uh, to know who uh, our Lord and Saviour is. So first he says, remember your spiritual heritage and become someone who is a spiritual heritage for somebody else. Then he goes, this is how to do it. Number two, he says, fan into flame your spiritual gift, verse 6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. So you must never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for Christ. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the proclamation of the good news. Don't hide your light or live in fear. Paul is looking at the state of the church. He's looking at the fact that they're being persecuted. He's looking at what's going on to the, around them and he's saying, do you know, Jesus said this would happen. So don't back away from it. Don't deny Christ. Stay strong in your faith. You know, one of the things that I thought was so wonderful about Friday and the royal wedding was the, seriously, was the address of the Bishop of London and the Christian prayers that were going on. I thought it was a fantastic Christian witness to the world. I was looking at thinking, there are millions of people watching this. They couldn't have picked a better preacher. They couldn't have picked better prayers. And I thought how significant it was that William and Catherine wrote a prayer themselves to be prayed. And I thought that itself was a Christian witness that this is the Lord and Saviour that we trust in. Oh, that was a terrific witness. Fan into flame that spiritual gift that others would know. You know, we're to, we're to shout it out aloud that we believe in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We were in Trafalgar Square with all the crowds around us. They started singing the hymns. I started singing the hymns. My children were going, oh, Dad, no. I'm like, I'm singing. You know, they backed away slightly and left me on my own. I had this little circular space around me, but I was belting them out. And when they came to the prayers, I joined in with the prayers. I didn't care. I'm thinking, come on. And do you know what? By the end of the singing and by the end of the prayers, others were joining in with me around there. And it just takes one person to go, come on. We're praying with them. We're not just here to wave a flag, guys. We're praying with them. And then to, when, we, when I cooked a curry that night, having beaten my son at golf, I cooked a curry that night and, and we opened a bottle of champagne and we had a glass of champagne as a family, which was lovely. And then we sat down to say grace and I was praying for the royal family. I was praying for William and Catherine and all that sort of thing. And I, so I opened my eyes and all my children were looking at me going, <laughs> Dad, we just want to get on with the food. And I'm going, that's a special day today. You know, this is what we're praying for. It's not just a day of waving a flag. It's a day of a potential future king and queen of our country. And, uh, uh, you know, what they stand for and what they stood for today 
was Christian truth, and to that I feel very proud to be uh, uh, part of their, this, this, this nation that follows Christ. Uh, and it's being lost, and when it's being shouted out and proclaimed publicly, we need to go with it and go, yes, this is good news. Um, Paul is looking at a church that's being persecuted, people leaving their faith, and he knows that he needs leaders out there who are going to show the way. Living lives empowered by the Spirit to able, uh, to, and, and able to inspire others uh, in their faith. Paul says, fan it into flame. In other words, that the the faith's already there. The spirit's already there. He says, but but fan it into flame, make it ablaze, make it make a real uh, difference. Stir it up. Help it to burn bright, so that others might see it. Serve the Lord and get involved. He's saying. I think the Lord would say the same to us. With whatever gifts we've got, whatever you have, then stir it up. Fan it into flame. Let others see it. If you're good at teaching, then teach. If you can help, then help. If you can sing, then join the worship team. If you can cook, be part of the hospitality. If you can invest, then help us invest for the future. If you can build, help us to build. If you can serve, help us to serve. You know, everyone can do something for God. And we all need to be there doing stuff for our Saviour, Jesus Christ. God wants all hands on deck. He's put things in us to help us to be part of the blessing and passing things on to the next generation. That's what we're called to do. That's what Paul saw as really important in these last few weeks of his life. And he's saying, this is what we've got to do, guys. We've got to pass the baton on and we've got to fan, get a bit of fan into flame to shine bright and proud for our Lord and Saviour, uh, Jesus Christ. But it doesn't just stop there, he says. Verse 9. It is, it is God who saved us and chose us to live a holy life. And he did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan long before the world began, to show his love and kindness to us through Christ Jesus. And now he's made all of this plain to us by the coming of Christ Jesus, our Saviour, who broke the power of death and showed us the way to everlasting life through the good news. It is God who saved us, and chose us to live a holy life. He chose us to live a holy life. First he says, remember your heritage. Remember your grandmother and your mother. Remember me. Remember what's being passed on. He's poured his saying, Timothy, it's really important we pass this message on. And you won't pass it on, he says, unless you fan into flame that that's within you. Unless you shine bright and shine bright, whatever's going on, whatever persecution's happening, whatever's going on, shine bright for our Saviour Jesus Christ. We need people who will do that. And finally he says, live a life worthy of your calling. It's God who saved us and he chose us to live a holy life. Worthy of being called the children of God, and that is what we are. My children laugh at us because we say certain things to them. We say in our home, we say, we are the Meliwishes. The Meliwishes do it this way. And now our children are no longer really children. Our older ones 
they still laugh back at us as we do things. And they say, oh, we do this, don't we? Because we do it the Melu-ish way, you know, as they come back to us. This is how we are. And I say to them, you know, as my son, this is how I expect you to live, guys. This is how we're to be. As my daughter, this is how we're to be. This is how we're to speak. This is our attitude. It's not just you, it's us. We represent a family together. And our family represents Christ in some way. And the way in which we speak and do is really important. And so we encourage one one another in that way. And I think they enjoy it anyway, really, even though sometimes they complain. But we say, this is how we behave. We choose to do the right thing. We choose to do the proper thing. No matter what everybody else does, we, tr- we choose to do things the right way. Paul says we're to be committed to live a, living a life worthy of being called the children of God. Worthy of being called his son and his daughter. You're a son of the King of Kings, of the Lord of Lords. You're a daughter of the King of Kings, of the Lord of Lords. Not just a daughter, but actually a princess. If he's a king, you're a princess. We're called to live a life worthy of that calling. In other words, our lifestyle should reflect that of our spiritual parentage. Our lifestyle should reflect our Heavenly Father. And in so doing, Paul says our prize will be in heaven. Verse 12, he says, he says, I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. In other words, he says, I am investing in the kingdom of God, investing his life in the things of God, and in so doing, praying for the right things to happen. Hold on to the right pattern of teaching, he says. All that you've learned from me. Remember to live a life of faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Paul knows there's a battle going on around him. The Romans are persecuting the Christians. People are wobbling in their faith. And his big appeal to Timothy here is for him to stand firm in his faith. Be faithful, not ashamed of his saviour, Jesus Christ. If we suffer for him, it is to be seen as but a glimpse in the light of eternity that we will spend with him. How we to live this life, how we to remain faithful, would a fan into flame the gift within us. How we to live a life worthy of our calling, in verse 14 he tells us, we to do it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Carefully guard what has been entrusted to you. Paul begins his last will and testament by saying, ensure your life is lived in the light of the gift of the Spirit who calls us and empowers us and helps us to be faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. Let's stand together, shall we?